Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36, which says, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And so the first worksheet, fill in the blank, is what is in your alabaster flask? What is in your alabaster flask? Continuing in verse 38, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This woman, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said, two men owed a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them um, will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly. Jesus said, then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, you see this woman, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. I want to begin by thanking uh, each of you, brothers and sisters in Christ, for your prayers and for all of your kind words of encouragement and healing that you extended to me uh, in light of my recent cycling accident. For some of you who've been around for a little while, you know that I have these every three or four years, usually on election years, elite years, so I was due for one. But I thank you for your kindness. I'm standing today after a very violent accident, but God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And I am acutely aware that my presence here today is simply an extension of God's grace and mercy. If I were to describe the incident to you, it would be reminiscent of the old Roadrunner cartoon and watching uh, ro the Roadrunner's nemesis, Wile E. Coyote, run into a wall and then falling or sliding down that wall to the pavement. And that's what my accident looked like on Friday the 24th. But you know, when our hearts are not right with God or with, e or with each other, 
an encounter with Jesus is like a collision, uh, like a collision with the back of a truck and a short slide downward to an unforgiving pavement. The story of this woman anointing Jesus reminds me of a legend surrounding the great baseball player Babe Ruth who allegedly had promised a critically ill boy who was hospitalized by the name of Johnny Sylvester that he would hit two home runs on that afternoon if the little boy would promise him that he would get well from his illness. And so as the story goes, the babe hit a home run early in that game, and as he got up to the plate in the ninth inning, he points his bat to the right field bleachers and then proceeds on the next pitch to blast the home run out of the stadium. But there were some who were present on that day who says that Babe never really pointed to the right field bleachers. He just hit the ball out of the park. And how we describe a situation depends on where we're sitting when we see it. I wish I had somebody say amen. And so here we have a story. And in this story, there are at least four different vantage points uh, to this story. And all of us are somehow connected with one of these vantage points. First vantage point is the vantage point of the disciples. The disciples noticed this lady coming into the dinner setting with a unique alabaster flask containing some very expensive perfume. There are no details given in the Gospel of Matthew about this woman other than the fact that she opens up her flask and begins to pour this very expensive perfume on Jesus' head. Now, before the perfume could roll down the back of Jesus' neck, the disciples began to react to her act of generosity. As a matter of fact, they objected to her act of generosity. And they claimed, I'm talking about the disciples claimed that the ointment was too expensive to be poured on Jesus in this manner. Now, I want you to understand that people will discourage extravagant giving. Somebody say amen. Jesus, who had noticed now, Jesus, who had up to this point, he had turned water into wine. He had healed little girls and bleeding women. He healed men whose legs were immobilized like mine, who could not walk properly. Jesus took the lunch of a little boy, took two fish and five loaves of bread and divided it and gave it to these disciples and told them to distribute it amongst the 5,000 uh, children and women and the men who were there. Uh, and then in addition to this, he gave each of them a basket full of fish and bread. It was these disciples who Jesus had empowered uh, in the 10th chapter to go out and to heal in his name and to cast out 
demons in his name. So these disciples were not strangers. If you recall, it was Jesus who went into the home of Peter. And Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. He gave James and John extraordinary preaching powers. So much so that they were called the sons of thunder. And after all that Jesus had done in their presence, and after all that Jesus had done for them, it was shocking that these disciples uh, would invoke the name of the poor as an excuse for not bestowing such an extravagant gesture upon the king of kings and the lord of lords. But what strikes me as very curious about the disciples' response is very similar to other people's response. Notice they say that the perfume uh, is too expensive to be poured on Jesus in this manner. It could be sold and given to the poor. But after all, this perfume belonged to this lady and this lady should be free to do with her perfume what she wants to do with her own perfume. Isn't it interesting how some people can very easily feed the poor as long as it's coming out of somebody else's pocket? Yes, and so it's interesting how people and sometimes Jesus' people will discourage extravagant giving. They said it was too much. They said it was too expensive. But generous people admire generosity. One generous person loves to see another generous person coming. And so that is the vantage point of the disciples. Second, there is the vantage point of the host. According to Matthew, the host's name is Simon the leper. Simon the leper is hosting a gathering, a dinner for Jesus. He is not supposed to do this unless all of his guests are lepers. You see, because in Jesus' day in Palestine, according to Jewish customs and laws, lepers were not permitted to commingle with the general population. They were supposed to announce their arrival when they were going in public so that those who had not contracted the dreaded disease of leprosy would have ample warning to move out of the way so as not to contract the disease or come in contact with these untouchables. And so they were to come into the public square and announce the embarrassing and dehumanizing words, unclean, unclean. So here is Simon the leper breaking the rules and getting away with it. But according to the gospel of Luke, the reason that he receives preferential treatment and is able to break the rules and get away with it is because he is a part of the guilty party, but he is also a part of the law enforcement. You see, when you are the law and the guilty, you can get away with things that other people cannot get away with. Luke reveals to us that Simon the leper is a Pharisee. He knows the law. Pharisees were strict observers of the law. That is unless the law applied 
to them. Have you ever met anyone like that before? They know the law and they believe in the letter of the law unless the law applies to them. You see, Simon would not have a problem with a poor sinner woman yelling in public, unclean, unclean, to announce her unwanted arrival. He would not have an issue with a beggar or any member of the underclass complying with the law. He would expect such. But when it came to him, yes, when it came to him, he had a different criteria. He had a different set of rules when it came to him. Simon treat, treated himself like I treat my wife in our house. Yes, my wife in our house has what I call diplomatic immunity. Yes, uh, she is not subject to be prosecuted, nor is she eligible for punitive action. She is exempt. It does not matter if she breaks the law or not. I wish I had somebody say amen. I'm trying to get me some brownie points up here. Yeah, yeah, she has been conferred diplomatic immunity. And you see, when you have diplomatic immunity, you're not even aware when you break the law because you don't have to know the law because the law does not apply to you. All you know that if a law is broken, you shall be set free irrespective of who thinks you are in violation. Are you with me? And Simon had conferred upon himself diplomatic immunity. Take note when the lady brings the expensive jar of perfume into his house and begins to anoint Jesus, he is immediately aware that this woman is in his house. She not only pours it on Jesus' head, but she washes Jesus' feet with her tears. She anoints them with this perfume. Simon, 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 the leper, he does not have the same type of view that the disciples have. He doesn't have a problem with her extravagance. That does not bother him because he is an aristocrat. He is the creme de la creme. He is in the upper crust. He's in the top 1% of the population and the people. So extravagance is not something that bothers him. But what he has a problem with is her class. He said if Jesus knew the kind of woman or if she was a part of my class, a part of my population, a part of my group, that might be all right. But if he was truly a prophet, he would know that this woman who is touching him is a sinner. And he would not allow her, y'all not with me, to touch him. Now I want you to know what the Bible says about Simon. The Bible says that Simon is a leper. A leper is not supposed to touch anybody. Yet can you imagine with your sanctified uh, imagination, can you imagine that the only reason that Jesus even receives an invitation to Simon's house? Because somewhere secretly in Simon's heart, he is hoping that somewhere during this dinner that Jesus might pause during this dinner and break the law and come over and touch him and secretly heal him 
of his leprosy, therefore removing him from the underclass that he is automatically a part of because he is secretly afflicted with the same thing that he condemns other people for having. Yes, he wants a touch from Jesus, but he does not want his peer to get a touch. In other words, Simon is a sinner who thinks that he's better than other sinners. You ever met one of those kind of people before? (laughs) Hallelujah. You ever met a sinner uh, who thought she or he was better than other sinners? Yes. Simon's problem was not his skin. Simon's problem was his heart. His view is that grace is only for good people. Bad people deserve what bad people get. But grace is for us, the good people. But this woman was not trying to get anything. She was trying to give something away. Simon was giving something for something, a dinner for a healing, a dinner for a touch, a, a time, a fellowship for a transformation. But this woman was giving something for nothing. And probably she was unaware of the power of her generosity. Because only our generosity for your worksheets makes our lives worth remembering. And Jesus said about her, wherever this gospel is preached, we shall remember this woman who was called a sinner. But then there's the perspective of this woman. We have the perspective of the disciples. We have the perspective of Simon the leper. And then this woman is in the room. She has a view of what's going on. Now, this woman is an interesting character. Um, one gospel says she is a woman who had lived a sinful, who was known to have lived. Y'all not with me. She was known to have lived a sinful life in that time. Simon the leper calls her a sinner. Now, Simon does not say what type of sinner she was, nor does the gospel writer say specifically what she did. But let us just as an aggregate population, as a group here today, let us get on one accord. Yeah. Let us all agree. Let us all assume and agree that she is a you-know-what. Yeah, let's just say, let's just all agree, she's a you-know-what. And as a you-know-what, she is aware of the ways of the world. She's cunning. She's crafty. She can read people a mile away. She can size up a situation uh, quickly, and she's two or three steps ahead of every person. She's brazen, and she's bold. Notice how she comes into the room. She does not have an invitation. She is not welcomed. She can read on the transcript of everybody's eyes that they don't want her there. They can hear uh, the speaking that's going on in their hearts that she's unwelcomed in this place. She has not been asked to come. But in spite 
of the rejection that she's hearing in uh, their hearts. Uh, she's, I said she was brazen and she is bold. And the same boldness that she used to function as a sinner, she's using that same boldness uh, to get in the presence of a savior. I wish there were two or three folks in here that could conjure up that boldness that you used to have when you were drinking that Seagram's and that Jack and Coke. I wish there was a couple people in here that could raise from the dead that same boldness that would get you to sneak in the house early in the morning. I wish there was somebody that just because you are saved, you have decided that I'm not going to be timid. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be searching the room to see who does not like me. I'm going to with all of my strength, with all of my power, with all of my courage, press my way into the presence of God. She was bold. She pressed her way to Jesus unwanted and uninvited. She had no regard for the opinion of the Pharisee. She had no regard for the opinion of those that had been with Jesus these past three years. She wanted to be in the presence of the Lord. And notice, when she got there, she gave Jesus all of her attention. The reason some of us can't get our spiritual fix is because we're fighting those who can't fix us. I wish I had some help. We too fixated on who don't like me, who don't love me, who ain't going to help me, who trying to block me. But I'll tell you one thing. If you make your way to Jesus, can't nobody block you? Can't nobody stop you? Can I get some help? She made her way there. She gave, and then she gave Jesus everything. Her perfume, her tears, her hair. She gave him everything. Her dignity, her profession, her sin. She put it all out there in order for Jesus to transform her soul. And then there's one more perspective. There was the disciples in the room who declared that it would not be appropriate for us to spend this amount of money on Jesus. Then there was Simon in the room who said it would not be appropriate if you're really saved to allow a sinner to engage with you like this. And then there's the woman who has been beaten uh, by life and who condemns only herself because of the life that she has lived in the past and she feels that it is following her wherever she goes. But the one thing I like about this story is that there's one more perspective. We've seen the disciples, we've seen Simon, and we've seen Jesus, and, we, and, and, we, and we've seen the, the, the disciples, the woman, and, the, and, 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 and well, there's one more, but we see Jesus in the room. Are you with me? In other words, it does not matter who is in the church. Don't get caught up 
in those who are stingy. Don't get caught up with those who are self-righteous. Don't you spend your time watching people who are gripped by the the persecution and the difficulty of life. Every time saints come together, oh, there's the selfish there and the stingy is there and the self-condemned is there, but the Savior is also here. I wish I, I'm just trying to say the Bible says where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them Jesus did not say what kind of condition the two or three might be in he just said where two or three are gathered in my name there am I in the midst of them and if Jesus is in the midst one thing this woman knew she knew the disciples could not help her she knew that Simon could not help her she even knew that she could not help herself but if I get myself and my alabaster flask and my tears and my hair if I can make my way to Jesus if I can get there he can help me. He can help me. Anybody ever remember that song? I must tell Jesus. I know there's a whole crowd in here, but I must tell Jesus all of my sorrows. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distresses, he'll kindly hear me. He understands and cares for his own. Yes, and in every church, there are always at least four types of people. You have the stingy who want to serve the poor with other people's money. Can I get some help in the house? You have the self-righteous who want grace for themselves but do not want it for others. You have the self-condemned who have not found the power and the strength to leave the past in the past. But the Savior is always present also. And I'm so glad that no matter who is here, Jesus always shows up. Right here, right now, my brothers and sisters. There are some of us here who are part of the church who do not serve the poor personally. But whenever the ministry spends money on something, we say we're supposed to be using our money to feed the poor. We ought not use the poor as an excuse to hide our own hypocrisy. Jesus said you always have an opportunity. Nothing is stopping you from serving the poor. And you ought to always try to be generous. Then there are others who think that the church is their private social club. They think the church has been placed where it is in order to address their own whims 
and their own whimsicalities and they are to be catered to and served but that is not what the church is really all about they are totally unaware of their own need to confess their sins and to repent and turn towards God they want grace without a change they want healing without conversion they want to have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof and then there are some in the church who come in and week after week live in condemnation they condemn themselves because of the lifestyle that they lived in the past. They are chained by their mistakes. They are imprisoned by their poor choices. They are condemned by their awful living. But I want to tell you something. Whenever Jesus is present, Jesus brings something that will set you free. Jesus brings good news. Is there anybody in the house that wants to hear some good news? Is there anybody here that wants to hear some news that will set you free? Jesus is in the room and the good news is that he has grace enough for all of us. Can I get some help in the house? If you are a stingy person, there is grace to transform you into a generous person. Yes, if you are a person that is thinks that you are better than other people, there's grace to help you to understand that God loves everybody. If you are a person that condemns yourself because of what you did in the past, I just want you to know that there is grace to set you free. This is the good news. That God has plenty of grace. In other words, we cannot be more generous than God. God is so generous that he gives us so much blessing. I wish I had some blessed people in the house. I know somebody in here is still waiting on your blessing. But I need two or three people in here that have received some blessings. I need two or three. I, I mean, I'm just telling you right now. I need, I need to have somebody testify that if you could get this microphone, you could begin to tell somebody about how many blessings. If you don't, I need somebody in the house. If you don't ever get one more blessing, you have already been blessed more than you can ever imagine. I need somebody that tried to count their blessings but found out that you ran out of numbers. I need somebody that knows that they know that they know that they know that they've been blessed already. I'm already blessed. He's already blessed me. Yes, God is a generous God. Yes, he will pour out blessings in your life. But not only is he generous in terms of how much he'll give you, he's generous in terms of how many people he will give it to. Can I get some help? Look to your left and look to your right. Do you know who you're looking at? 
you're looking at somebody who has been blessed by God. Oh, yeah. Look behind you and look in front of you. You know who you're looking at? You're looking at somebody who's been blessed by God. I want you to do something a little difficult. Look at a 45 degree angle and look at another 45 degree angle. Do you know who you're looking at? Somebody that's been Jesus is saying that Simon you don't have to look down on anybody disciples you don't have to think that's too much money to spend woman you don't have to condemn yourself I've got enough grace I got enough to cover every situation Somebody clap and give God the praise. 